Hattie's coverage of South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, celebrating its 30th year. Uh, the Boom Howdy team went down and we covered film and TV, some comedy panels, and a few just general entertainment panels as well. So for this episode of the Boom Howdy podcast, we're going to kind of give you a clip show and jump around to a few of those interviews that we were lucky enough to get. So um, some of the things we'll be hearing from today is the Outcast red carpet premiere, uh, which will be premiering on Cinemax this fall. It's a Robert Kirkman a uh, graphic novel that's been adapted to the TV series. We're also going to hear from another comic adaptation that was down at South by Southwest that Eric Havens had the chance to do the red carpet for Preacher on AMC from Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. We will also be getting some comedy stylings from Don't Think Twice and a roundtable from Mike Birbiglia and some of his friends in that movie, along with Adam Caton Holland from TV's True TV's Those Who Can't. Uh, and last but not least, the UCB guys, Matt Walsh, Matt Besser, and Todd Bieber let us sit in on a roundtable to discuss their new documentary, Thank You, Dell, the story of the Dell Close Marathon. So, a lot to cover on this. Um, had a great time down there. If any of you have listened to the Netflix and Chill podcast, Kelly Powell and myself recapped um, a bit of our experiences down there that kind of went from a wide range of some stuff that we loved, and then some awkward stories as well. So um, check that out. It's currently up on the Boom Howdy Podcast Network, Netflix, and chill. But let's go ahead and jump into our first interview. We're going to start off with Adam Caton Holland from True TV's Those Who Can't. You can see it um, Thursday nights. It's a great show. Uh, it's by the comedian team out of Denver called Grolix, and Adam is part of that. So Let's go ahead and listen to that interview that I was lucky enough to get. All right, we're here with Adam Caton Holland on True TV's Those Who Can't, which airs what? On Thursdays, I Thursdays, believe, right? Thursdays, yeah. 10.30 Eastern. Yeah. I've watched all the episodes so far. I'm caught up. I got caught oh, up nice. before I came, and I say I love it. Thank you. Absolutely fantastic. That's nice to hear. And so you're part of a, a improv group, Gralix, out of Denver. Yeah. And you got some writing partners and buddies. You want to talk about them for a second, too? Yeah. I mean, we're more, we're just stand-up, so we don't do mm. improv. But uh, the three of us do a live show called The Gralix, and mm. we do, like, a sketch, you know, up front, the three of us host it, and that's kind of a sketch. And then it's just stand-up, and we show, like, videos that we've made mm. and stuff like that. But, um... But yeah, we started it in Denver, and it just kind of became this phenomenon. We made a web series, and that sort of caught on and led to, to those who can't. Um, but it was great. In Denver, it was the last Friday of every month. We'd sell out every show. Yeah. It was just this really cool, organic thing. And now we, uh, we had to hang that up to go make our TV show. But we still tour around as the Grolix and yeah. put on Grolix live shows. It's funny how web series are becoming kind of this development tool. I mean, it uh, makes sense. Like Broad, just, City. Yeah. Broad City started yeah. out there and they're blowing up too. I think it's like, um, oh my gosh. you know, if you're an executive, it's an easy way to be like, okay, well, let's let them do the work. And, and <laughs> right, like, yeah. figure out their product and their show and then we can just buy it. Yeah, So it's a nice ground to kind of get stuff tight. It's a good testing ground. Yeah. And I think, honestly, there's a lot of crap on the internet, but I think the... For the most part, the good stuff sort of like rises to the top mm -hmm. and gets plucked out of obscurity. Yeah, so much. And then, I mean, Netflix is even picking up that kind of stuff, too. So I know. It's, it's a good It's pretty time. great. You know, especially as comics from Denver who are not necessarily in the L.A. and New York limelight all the time or in the eye of the, you know, string pullers. Yeah. It's nice that we could just make this thing on our own, throw it up online, and people got wind of it. You know? And I was at your show the other night, Five Comedians Who Can't, and you were like, I live in L.A. now. 
But if you had your choice, you'd stick in Denver, right? Well, I mean, I live <laughs> temporarily in LA. Yeah, I'm yeah. only there for because we're writing season two, so I have a rental for six months. But I own a house in Denver. And yeah. I'm back as soon as back. this is done. I hate LA. <laughs> <laughs> so you play Lauren Payton, your Spanish teacher, indeed, at Smoot High. Yes. What drew you to? writing yourself into that role or was it your buddies that were like no kind of brainstorming into it because you all have kind of unique characters yeah you know with the web series the web series is behind the scenes of our live show it was like a Uh fictional like behind the scenes um and those characters in the web series are very much the characters you see in those who can't Mm -hmm. and then we just say like they're all exaggerations of our worst personality traits (laughs) that's what i was wondering yeah it's based on you guys at all it is is. i mean andrew's not as dumb as fairbell right yeah andrew's actually very smart but um, but like Ben is kind of a loose cannon. Ben's very emotional. Ben's volatile, uh, and Ben's very heartfelt and passionate, just like Shoemaker. And I'm definitely like, I've been accused of being somewhat arrogant. I've been accused <laughs> of being a little broy, and uh, both. So I just magnify those traits yeah. in my character. And I I lived in Spain for a year of my life, and I teach Span. I, I speak Spanish, um, so it just made sense that I okay. would teach this pompous. Spain Spanish to Mexican students it just seemed like a good character trait so yeah I mean it's like it's definitely based somewhat on me but it's like the worst parts of me is, are, are Lauren Payton so what about Rory is his character the prince is that based on no, that's funny. I thought no, his characteristic no, I mean that's a completely written character right? you know we wrote that we wrote that for Rory yeah. with him in mind and we basically we just wanted to go against type so it's like you know, there's the disciplinary and stern principal who's like scolds the bad teachers, and we figured that would be just hacky. So we're like, let's make him like super new agey, super Colorado beardy, good yep. vibes, and it just seemed like for, to have music. that hippie music <laughs> and to have that guy be the authority figure. It was just funny, and then Rory like adds his Rory flair to it, like. Roy just came in and knew that character forwards and backwards. It's and was so like, perfect. We would give him lines, and he'd be like, Quinn wouldn't say that. <laughs> We're like, oh, really? well, you just phrase it how Quinn just needs do it to in, say it. Yeah, paraphrase it or whatever. But it's nice when a guy as talented as Rory thinks that much about the character. Yeah. So it's like he really made Quinn like next-level funny, in, in my opinion. So the episodes we're seeing, is there any experiences you're drawing off of from your own high school experience? Because, I mean, obviously they're exaggerated and over the top. Yeah. So I don't know how far you guys really went with it. Not really, honestly, because like all of us, I mean, I had good teachers. I had some crappy yeah. teachers, but most of my Everybody teachers were does, good, right? you yeah. know, and like ditto with Andrew and Ben. Um, but if anything, like it's kind of, we filmed this once for Amazon as a pilot mm. and we did that on our own money or just a little bit of money they gave us years ago. That was almost going to be picked up by Amazon. They dropped it. Two years later, True resurrected it. But when we filmed that original one, um, we filmed that in Denver for no money and we filmed at my high, former high school and <laughs> at my former rival high school we filmed at both and those certainly kind of colored what Smoot became in this one which is like a larger failing public high school pretty diverse like it was we based it a lot from my high school in terms of size and mm-hmm. so it, it, you know I like it because it feels like my high school yeah um, like Tammy Sherman the, uh-huh. the black secretary like who's just like tough as nails my school was populated by these like fierce women who ran the office who, who you were <laughs> yeah. terrified you're right mine kind of were like that too I actually yeah. so I had a teacher it was a substitute teacher Mr. Neal okay. he was this giant guy right kind of talked a little like Herman Munster and he was one of my favorite teachers and it wasn't because we got away with stuff necessarily but he was just super chill yeah he brought in a Playboy anniversary edition one time. Whoa. Yeah. That's super New level, chill. right? It was tucked <laughs> That's underneath. That's like illegal chill. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like maybe too chill. It was like tucked under the newspaper, like the USA Today. 
and I think it just fell out or one of us found it. He's like, oh, hey, uh, it's not supposed to be here. And we're like, <laughs> That's awesome. it's here, so let's deal with it. That's hilarious. So, yeah, I just was wondering because we had... I had somebody like that. Great. Yeah. We all had weird teachers sometimes. You know, all the real... It's like, like a new level. Exactly. All the real horror stories of my teachers were, like, very bad, where it's, like, the person, you know, like, slept with a 17-year-old right, yeah. or, like, uh, there was uh, one teacher... Very bad? <laughs> it's, um, you know, ask the sure. state. Ask the state on that it's perspective. one. perspective. <laughs> um, oh, man, that cell phone just broke. <laughs> um, you it's know, like I a squirrel just tossed a nut, and you're like, oh, that cell phone just broke. I had a teacher, Miss Blakesley, who went, like crazy and that was like just, just like, like legitimate yeah, yeah yeah so like the stories aren't funny the real yeah. ones so we're like let's uh let's change this up yeah well i think you did a good job yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something that could be a little sad but also funny exactly <laughs> um so there's another show out called teachers yeah on true tv no that one's on on uh tv, it's on land. TV land we're on true i was gonna say that just because i effed up and no one heard it in the intro and so might as well do it again you had to because hey listen i'm about the brand <laughs> and the brand is true tv true tv yeah they're teachers, teachers on, on TV land. Exactly. And the reason I bring them up is because it's kind of funny that both you guys came out with a, a series based on teachers. They're elementary. Right. It's a whole different flavor. It's a different group out of Chicago. Right. Katie Dids. Right. It's, it's very similar. They're a, they were an improv group out of Chicago. I think they had a web series. Yeah. We're a sketch, yeah. we're a sketch and stand-up group out of Denver with a web series. Yep. And we both made teacher shows. Like, it's crazy. I just thought it would be funny if Smoot was the feeder school from the uh, elementary oh, yeah. school because like they're train wrecks right yeah you guys aren't train wrecks necessarily you have kind of per- quirky personalities sure but I just think it's funny that we're if we were to imagine a world where there was a crossover yeah episode well, with you guys in it I don't know see. how it would work because it's elementary and high school but we would just bang all of them <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's the episode. It's like two per person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and they're all named Katie. It's perfect. We didn't so have to you wouldn't have like, what's my name? You yeah, don't have to yeah, worry yeah. about it. We'll okay. do that. Yeah. Lauren goes on a date. It's like the hackiest sitcom trope. Lauren goes has scheduled six dates on the same <laughs> night, and he has to go to all. Figure him out. So he has them all come to the same restaurant, and he's just table hopping. And they're blind dates. It's perfect. So you can have the other guys fill this in. Thing writes itself. I feel like we might have wrote season two. Season two is gonna happen, right? Yeah, no, season two is happening. Yeah, we're, we're writing it now. So you, you just you and I just <laughs> right. season three. I don't want any residuals. Just a, a thank you in the end will be enough for me. We'll put your face up. Oof, with, I don't know about uh, that, my man. Yeah, we'll put your face up with it. Just a big thank you. I'll just, just be a, an extra in the background, like Kyle. Kyle's just basically dead in every episode, almost. <laughs> no, Kyle's Kanane is hilarious in this show. <laughs> I love his character, and we're doing a lot with him season two as well. It's He's great. I'm going to go see him in Kansas City when he comes through. So Nice. Kyle's one of my yeah. favorite comics. He's, he's awesome. Um, so do you think there would be a turf war then? What Smoot do you mean? High versus... Turf. I don't even know what the teachers... I don't know is. what they are. I mean, like, I'm, I'm more power to it's, them. I'm it's happy funny for because them, it's, it's like, it, I just... I kind of, like, don't watch it just because I don't uh, want to, like, unintentionally steal an idea. Or, yeah, you know, that's so true. It's like, Subject matter overlaps too much. Yeah, but, you know, they're yeah. elementary school and we're, we're high school, which, yeah. to me, I think is... Ours is a little different because... I think the humor in there is a lot is a lot of them behaving badly in front of kids, yep. which is funny. Us is us behaving badly, but because it's high school students, they're like real people. Yep. So we kind of can't just like the kids know that we're behaving badly. Yeah. So I think there's a little different element. Well, you're that. playing off the students versus just the characters, the yeah. teachers themselves. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. 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 Um, so if you could, there's a lot of weird, unconventional courses now that I feel like pop up, especially in college. You know, there's stuff on Game of Thrones or Tupac, and that yeah, is right. happening in high school a little bit, too. I don't know if it's the nature of the millennials, right? the rise of that. 
what would be one unconventional course if you could come up with one on your own? What I, would it be? It's and not why? even funny, but I would teach bird watching. I'm like obsessed with. Bird. So that's legit because yeah, yeah, I heard yeah. that in your show the other night. Got, Holy crap! I got like is several bird tattoos. This is a black-capped chickadee. Okay. This is a red-tailed hawk. That's nice. That's yeah, and I have a ivory-billed woodpecker on my back, and I'm getting more all the time. Was, I am. Uh, was the I'm obsessed uh, with birds? Was the hawk story that you told with your uh, oh yeah stand-up legit? That's true. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were at a hotel. I was at a hotel in Cincinnati, and I was like, it was freezing outside, and I was running to across the parking lot to get to a Chipotle to like get out of the cold. And uh, I got veered off course following a hawk, and next thing you know, I was like in the woods behind the hotel, like trying to find this hawk. And basically, the security guard called me out for like being like a peeping tom <laughs> in the back of the back of the hotel. So yeah, that's all true. That's incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, you never know when people are like just making up a story yeah. or pulling from the real I mean, that's life. A, that's a that's pretty, very specific. It's very so I'm specific. like, I, this is either a really well-crafted joke yeah, or to, this really happened. I'd have so. to be pretty inventive to just invent that whole thing. No, that's totally like, I'm a bird watcher. I would, I think it makes people more. For a while? Like hobbies mm, since you were a kid? No, or? no. It's been like the last like six, seven years. I've gotten yeah. really, really into it. Um, I like, I read this book called Grail Bird. Uh, and that's why I have an ivory-billed woodpecker tattoo. It's this, it's this bird, the ivory-billed woodpecker. They thought it was extinct. And it's this big honking bird. It's like Woody oh. Woodpecker. It was in. It lived in the bayous, like down in the swamps, of Arkansas, and Louisiana. And then after the Civil War, they, they gutted all that. You know, like the North basically took the South's lumber, and they're like, "This is ours now." So they gutted a lot of that area. Bird went extinct. But they're always like locals. Who're like that bird ain't extinct. I've seen that bird. Legend. Yeah, and there's another bird that looks similar to it. So they're like, "No, you saw a pileated woodpecker. You didn't see an ivory-billed woodpecker." But they're like, "No, I saw an ivory-billed." So this book is the. Uh, the head of the Cornell Department of Ornithology, which is like the main bird schools. Uh-huh. Cornell's the big one. He's in a, it's just him in a kayak rediscovering this bird, <laughs> like going through the backwoods, interviewing yokels and like finding <laughs> this bird and getting the proof of it. And I read that book and it's like a real adventure story and uh-huh. I was just like fascinated I mean, by yeah, it. Yeah, that sounds really It's a great really book. It's called yeah. Grail Bird. It's, I recommend it to anybody. Um, and that just kind of like a light bulb went off. I was like, birds are fucking cool. And I just <laughs> and started bird watching. Yeah. And it's, I think it makes you more observant about the world, yeah. especially in this, like, you know, we're on a podcast, but it's fast-paced digital world, screens in front of your face mm-hmm. all the goddamn time. It's like, slow down, look at the birds. Just, yep. It just chills me out. You know, as much as I travel, there's different birds everywhere. Yeah. Every state's got different birds, so it's like, it's a, it's a fun little Found hobby. some rare ones? Um, yeah, there's one in Colorado called the Gunnison sage grouse that's very rare. <laughs> And I went um, out with some field biologists and like saw it in the morning and yeah. shit. Like, yeah, Jeez. yeah, <laughs> it's legit then. Okay, it's legit. That's it's good a legit passion. Um, so, in the opening credits, to switch it back to sure, talk about the show. Can't. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Back, sorry, sorry. back to those can't talk about birds all day. Uh, in the opening credits, we see your fellow teachers writing on the bathroom wall. Yeah, yeah. If you have you written anything obscene on a bathroom wall, and if not, what would well, you write if someone turned the other cheek? Something bad about Trump? Or? Um, well, certainly. Well, certainly. But. but at this point, I feel like even just mentioning him, I was like, don't, Oof. no, I can't even have no jokes. Out my mouth. I just like don't want to. Trump. That's why yeah. we have a new word. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd write like uh, Adam's the funniest of the Grolics. <laughs> and then like tag it with your hash, yeah. and like then hashtag sign or some, <laughs> some ridiculous word. At, Ka- at Kate and Holly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't really have much else for you, man. Okay, well that was, it was simple and easy. Super simple, quick. Yeah, that's how we do it here. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. No, first of all, no problem. South thanks by. For, hey, thanks for tracking me down and coming to my hotel. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, hey, it's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> no, now let's go up to my room and make, make <laughs> right. out a little bit. Too. Right. 
Uh, so you got another show coming up tonight. True yeah. TV's The Growlix Presents. I think Those it, who can't? God, there's so much word. Everything's branding <laughs> down here. I think the way they're wording it is True TV's presents the stars of those who can't play like okay. or something, something like that. 10 o'clock of the Esther's Follies. Yeah, totally. All right, I'll be um, there. Cool. It's going to be a hell of a show. I'm going to talk about birds for pretty much an hour and a half. <laughs> Best of luck on the show. Those who can't. True TV. 10.30 Thursdays. Thursdays. Yeah. Right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks to Adam Kitten Holland once again for inviting me to his hotel room to make out. Uh, nice little fun interview. Grawlix is great. Like I said, if you haven't seen Those Who Can't, please check it out on True TV. Well worth the watch. I believe four or five episodes are already out. So let's move on to a red carpet that we did. Um, actually, Eric Havens was down reporting for us as well as Kelly and Kate. Eric was able to go to the Preacher red carpet, which will be on AMC, I believe, this fall. And it's a, a project that kind of toiled for quite some time with the uh, indie cult hit Preacher, which is a comic novel, uh, and eventually it fell to Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, and they gleefully snatched it up and have turned it into something that I think a lot of people will like. However, Eric said when he watched the pilot that it did kind of steer a little bit away from the comic early on, at least in the pilot. So kind of an inter interesting thing to hear for those who may be fans of the comics. So, without further ado, let's hear from the stars of AMC's Preacher. I'm gonna kind of pony off of her question, since this has been in development for so many years. Do you think this would have been a good movie, or did it have to wait for television? I don't think it would have been a good movie. We thought about it as a movie initially, but it's just too big a world, there's too many characters. Right. No matter what, if, unless it was like a Shogun movie. Right. Yeah. If, we, if we made a movie, you like miss some characters that that fans wouldn't forgive you for. Yeah, I mean, the idea that, like, uh, like even if it was a trilogy of movies, it would be nine hours. And just right, to think, like, yeah. our, our first season is nine hours. And then you have to depend and on their, uh, success. And exactly, and so yeah. the idea that, you know, we'll get seven times that, potentially, right. is, you know, I really let you explore the characters and their backstories and all the fun little tangents and all the weird little things that I think people will think, like, they won't put that in there, but, right. like, no, we can put that in there. <laughs> one, one quick real talk, like, when you guys got this done, and did, did you feel, like, fortunate, or was there a part of you as, like, we're the best. We're the ones that beat the American Gladiators. <laughs> I think we're just the guys who waited patiently. I think we waited. Our hands it was open. literally like a, I think it was a patience game. Like, okay. I feel like everyone failed and we just hung around. <laughs> it was like literally like on a yearly cycle, we'd call our agent and say, okay, check it out. Who has it now? Sam has it now. And they'd be like, oh, this guy. Yeah, okay, And eventually they all just, something happened. Yeah, it landed in our lap. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Cool. All right, that was our own Eric Havens reporting from the red carpet of AMC's Preacher with Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen. So thanks for taking the time out to talk to us, and thanks to Eric for getting that audio for us. Those red carpets, I don't think a lot of people understand, are so tight at South by Southwest when they do them outdoors that you're just hugging the person next to you. It's kind of an insane endeavor just to get two or three questions from people, so... Um, thank you to Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, along with Eric Havens. Next up on the South by Southwest Boom Howdy podcast, we're going to hear some red carpet audio from the Outcast uh, interviews that we did, which will be premiering this fall on Cinemax. It's the Robert Kirkman graphic novel that they've adapted. 
to a TV series. So we're going to get some uh, clip here from Adam Wingard, who was the director of the pilot. We're going to get some audio from Robert Kirkman. And we'll also be hearing from the star of the show, Patrick Fugit, who plays Kyle Barnes. But first up, we're going to hear from series creator Robert Kirkman. Um, so we have another comic adaptation from Walking Dead to Outcast, graphic novel. So what do you think uh, has kind of made this successful change from page to screen between the comics being adapted into TV series and being super... You mean as a whole? or Yeah, or yeah, just kind of, and especially for you, I mean, you've, uh-huh. you've had so much success with it. What do you think it is that is the greater appeal to the mainstream audience that didn't know about the source material, kind of covers two people? I think comics in general, you know, it's a, uh, it's a medium that, you know, doesn't really have a lot of limitations. So I think uh, the zaniest, most unique, coolest ideas can thrive there. And so I think as a testing ground for movies and television, it's, it's just ripe with, you know, all kinds of stuff that, you know, people wouldn't really expect to see that you know could bring in a new audience and uh you know it's, it's a visual medium so i think that makes it easy to translate and also comics are usually designed to tell a continuing narrative that's going to you know grow and change and evolve over time the same way that you know we do in television and so i think that because of that the two mediums seem to go hand in hand and uh you know maybe i'll do it again we'll see <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> hopefully outcast won't be the last comic i do that gets turned into a show so we're dealing with demonic possession. I've got kids. I got to pay for college. It's a whole thing. It's a lot on my back. I got, I got to make sure that you know there's more of these. So for at least 18 years, yes. The Walking Dead's going to go for 18 years, is what I'm hearing. Yes, you heard it here first. An exclusive. <laughs> um, so we're dealing with supernatural possession. Um, I've been asking everybody what are their thoughts on possession actually being something real versus a mental state. Um, it's been kind of a debate for a while. So what is your take on it since you made this source material? Well, look, I don't have like a definitive answer or anything because I don't know. And that's the kind of thing that excites me. I love the idea that, you know, I'm not going to say Bigfoot is real. I'm not going to say alien abduction totally happens. But I love being open to the idea that there are corners and nooks and crannies to this world that we don't yet understand or comprehend. Um, You know, it's interesting to me to think that, you know, there is clearly a phenomenon that people are talking about that's being reported on that, you know, people do believe that demonic possession is a real thing um you know but maybe we don't have all the answers and the ins and outs of what that exactly is so so i don't know i mean like i say i can't answer definitively but uh i'm open to the possibility we'll see okay i've been asking everybody kind of how much of the character traits from the novel are brought in but i feel like you'll have the better answer (laughs) than any of them could how much is it brought in and like, what is one of your favorite characters that you brought into the story that's not in the novel? Obviously, Daryl Dixon comes to mind for Walking Dead. Sure, sure. Who is that Daryl Dixon character for Outcast? I, there's there's a few. I mean, I don't want to spoil things. I mean, there's a character. You, we've already broke the, an exclusive for Walking Dead. We might as well just go ahead and do some more. That's true. Well, there's a character, Aaron, that's introduced that, uh, uh, you know, is not in the comics and is pretty cool. And, uh, uh you know, there's there's you know a couple of love interests and some things like that that are that are new that I think people will really like. Um, you know, as far as character traits go, I think that uh, it's important in adapting this stuff that the characters remain the characters, and so I think largely the character traits from character to character are kind of brought whole cloth from the comic book to the television show. But I think that uh, you know, there's a lot of different additions and different uh, stories and things like that that are kind of kind of injected in to uh, evolve things a little bit and, and, and change things up so that if you are reading the comic, you'll still be surprised and things like that. Uh, but uh, for the most part, you know, Kyle Barnes is Kyle Barnes, Reverend Anderson is Reverend Anderson, and so on and so forth. Awesome. Best of luck on the series. Thanks for taking the time out at South By.
All right, man. Let's keep talking. Yeah. All right, that was series creator Robert Kirkman. Let's move on to the star of the show, Patrick Fugit, who plays Kyle Barnes. Can you tell us a little bit about your character, Kyle Barnes, for those that aren't familiar with the comic? Just yeah. kind of get familiar with it a little bit. Yeah, Kyle Barnes, uh, when we meet him, is sort of surrounded uh, by darkness. Uh, he's, uh, he's sort of down on his luck. He's in kind of the low point of his life. He's isolating himself. And... Um, it's due to uh, some demonic possession that's been involved in his life and in his childhood. And during the course of the pilot, he finds out that there might be something he can do to change those circumstances. Now, do you believe in demonic possession of any kind at all? Or have any source material of film that you kind of took to bring to the character in your performance? No, I, uh, I'm, I'm not a believer. <laughs> um, I, uh, it's also, I mean... So two of the main characters are Kyle Barnes and Reverend Anderson. Reverend Anderson is definitely the one who's the believer in the you know God and the devil and good and evil, and um, and believes that it's demonic possession. And Kyle is sort of more in denial and believes it's more along the lines of mental illness. And then they find out it's something that neither one of them were expecting. And uh, so yeah, I tend to agree more with Kyle. Yeah, <laughs> I think I would too. There, I mean, there's been studies where. It, people seem to believe it's more of a mental illness when you see the crazy possession videos. Yeah. So, um, was there anything in the script, obviously you can't spoil anything, but was there anything in the script that you read and just kind of floored you? And if so, I don't want to tell you like what was it, but what caused you to feel that way? Make scale one to 10, how deep and kind of dark do we get with this? I, uh, I, I kind of have a, like a messed up sense of humor and I'm a little bit hard to floor. <laughs> So there are parts that made me l laugh, but in the way that's like, wow, that's that's fucked up. <laughs> um, More of a fist pump. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, I don't want to spoil anything, but <laughs> there's definitely it's hard to th talk about it, but yeah, yeah. there's definitely some circumstances that Kyle and some of the other characters find themselves in that are not not conventional. Now, how much of the character are we actually pulling character traits from? the graphic novel itself good question um well we uh we're pretty lucky and me in particular I, I have an easier time with uh uh sort of bringing the source material to life because we have <laughs> robert kirkman who wrote the pilot and also created the comic so uh i get to draw things from the comic but there's you know there's it's mostly uh, imagery and tone like physicality and character tone and overall like story tone and things like that but uh robert's writing and chris's writing uh is all really very textured and self-explanatory so it's sort of a mix of both but it's mostly i mean my my job is to come in and tell the story you know with the script and so that's where i draw most of the cool yeah you never know with the characters with robert at least with the walking dead what he's going to pull in, what he's going to leave out, kind of surprise us with. So that's cool to know. Well, good luck on the series. Thanks for joining us today. Have a good South by. Thanks, man. You too. And that was actor Patrick Fugit from Outcast. Now, the last person we're going to hear is someone who should be familiar to many horror fans. Uh, he is director Adam Wingard, who you probably know best from your next. Uh, he also worked on some VHS segments, Horrible Way to Die, and his writing partner Simon Barrett on The Guest. So let's go ahead and see what Adam Wingard had to say about Outcast and demonic possession. 
I've been asking everybody this, so I figured I'm going to get your take on it. But obviously this deals with possession, mm -hmm. so I just want to know your thoughts on possession in general. Do you believe in it? You obviously are in the horror genre, so I feel like you might be a little more open-minded to it, or is it more of just something that could be, well, it's a mental illness and right, yeah. exaggeration? Well, I mean, it's probably for the most part mental illness, but, you know, I'm pretty open-minded to, like, bizarre conspiracy nonsense, or at least I'm, like... I, I always draw the line when it comes to a lot of supernatural stuff where, you know, I never say, like, I believe in this, I believe in that, you know. It's more like I can see it both ways, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like, because the second that you start just, like, saying, like, you know, this is real, you know what I mean, even though you have no evidence of it, it's like you kind of get going down the spiral of getting crazier and crazier because I go to all these, like, conspiracy, like, conferences and stuff like that, and the the real key to it is not ever getting angry about it you know because like people who like like get into like the supernatural and conspiracy stuff sometimes like they just get so passionate about it it's like if if somebody else doesn't believe it if they're not hearing them it's like they have a really like big opinion on it it gets like a political thing almost it's exactly like that it's like no different um but to go back to the possession thing it's like um, I think there's like a few cases that um, that I've read about that that seem you know relatively credible. I think for the most part it's probably just people with like you know weird issues. You know, <laughs> you lose a bit, little bit of the lore too once you start to prove it. So <laughs> that's part of the mystery of it. So, is there anything um, that you read in the upcoming script that kind of floored you that you weren't expecting that was a turn from the graphic novel? I know we can't get into details, but. You always hear, like, Andrew Lincoln talking about Walking Dead, and he's like, oh, I read that, and I couldn't sleep. Right. Or I was in tears because, you know, a cast member died, and I knew it was coming up. Was there anything that was similar to you, or were you attached enough to it since we're only one season in? Well, for me, like, my, my main focus was just the pilot. So, uh, and, and the pilot itself follows the comic book really closely in terms of just, like, the beats for what happened. But they're definitely um, fleshed out a good deal more graphically within the, the context of the script you know um so that was kind of exciting for me you know i wouldn't say scary but it was like you know it was one of those things where it's like oh there's some real meat here to play with and um so you know those kind of things were just super exciting for me and i know i keep drawing walking dead inspiration for robert but for the first episode of of the walking dead it, it followed the comic almost to a t right so was that i don't want to say was that the case because i don't want to spoil it but were the was the comic inspiration like giving you almost storyboards to work with throughout for your vision or did you kind of take your own on yeah i mean like for the most part you know like i looked at the comic as like you know like you know in terms of like a visual template i wanted to like emulate like the kind of production design elements like try to get the the locations looking right even though we were shooting in south carolina and it takes place in west virginia it was important to find the right landscapes that fit that west virginia aesthetic the right type of like houses you know and that kind of thing uh, the costumes and all that stuff. Um, there's there's like certain shots within the in or the um, panels within the comic that you know we were like okay let's try to like kind of match this up and things like that and you know um, it, you know it, it, it plays out differently enough where you know it's kind of hard to like use it as a storyboard storyboard you know like it's not like a Sin City type of thing but um, but yeah like we you know where where possible it was always like let's try to like match something up and try to you know. Um, influence from it since you did have so much source material to draw from and kind of this established world was there a chance to pull inspiration from you on the director side for previous films I mean everyone always goes back to the exorcist for possession films is kind of the holy grail of 
how to portray it and still make it scary to this day. Is there any tricks you took from that or any other films that dealt with this topic? Yeah, I mean, like, um, uh, you know, like, I, I watched, uh, you know, I kind of, well, I've seen already a lot of possession films, and, you know, so far my only, the only two that I really love are The Exorcist 1 and The Exorcist 2, and, you know, and I like them for completely different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, As anyone would. <laughs> exactly. And, um, but, you know, it's one of those things where, like, I just, I'm not a big fan of, like, the, the subgenre, which is why I wanted to tackle it, because I felt like nobody had really done anything, you know, you know, uh, totally innovative with the kind of mythology of possessions and stuff since The Exorcist. I felt like everybody's kind of treading on kind of familiar territory. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I watched The Exorcist, and the main thing that I realized and discovered that what they did correctly in that film that really stands out above most of the other Exorcism films is that they're playing off of the actors' um you know, expressions, you know, like it's not just about what Linda Blair is doing, it's about the actually selling the horror through um, everyone else, you know, their their experience on screen, you know. And beyond that, like, I, I took a you know, like, and I, and I keep going back to this movie, I don't know why, but um, there's this movie called uh, Why to the Eye by uh, Donald Camel, you know, um, that uh, there's some pretty obvious influences in here, you know, like we, we use like these uh, close-up eyeball shots in it that, um, that kind of go to that film. I mean, thematically, they don't really match up, but it was more like... Intense. Yeah, it just... Intention. It, it just, like, you know, it was something that worked in there, and I saw how, like, that same method could be applied symbolically to this thing, and... Um, uh, but, you know, the last, like, couple things I've done, Why the Eye, for some reason, comes out. It's not, like, a perfect film, either, but it's, like, one that I'm always... I'm just, like, kind of weirdly obsessed with. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, one of the last things, you and uh, Simon... I, I first knew about you guys through shorts. So now that you've done shorts and some more features now with, you know, obviously A Horrible Way to Die and Your Next, etc., which do you like better, the short form or, like, the VHS segments that you can run with with a lower budget and just kind of probably be a little more indie about it and not structured or working on something like a big TV series pilot with Cinemax? I don't want to put you in <laughs> a corner of, like, oh, yeah, how did you like working with Cinemax, but which do you like better? Uh, well, no, I mean, like, to me, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's a different experience each time, you know, like, working on TV was fucking great, like, because everybody gave me respect as a director, they didn't kick me out of the editing room, and, you know, I've been told that pilot directors, you know, get a little bit more time in the editing room than, you know, series directors, but, you know, at a certain point, there's a cap off, but, you know, they let me stay in there the whole run of the show, and so, like, I really felt ownership of it, and they really encouraged that ownership, you know, um, you know, like in terms of like low budget versus this or that, you know, like it, it, it's all relative to, you know, who the producers and the executives that you're working with are, you know, like if you're all on the same page, then, you know, please more money, the better, because then you can get what you want and stuff like that. But the really the, the problem isn't the budget or the, the indiness of it. You know, it's really about like, you know, um, are you on the same page with your your team and are there disputes within that? You know, that makes sense. Well. Thanks for coming by. All the luck on the series. Thank you. Hope you're enjoying South Park. Appreciate it. <laughs> all right, and that was our coverage from the red carpet of Outcast. Um, appreciate all the time those guys gave to us. And uh, I watched the pilot, and I got to say, I actually really enjoyed it. I saw the first 30 seconds of it that kind of sets a disturbing tone at San Diego Comic-Con last July. So I finally got to see the full episode and I really, really dug it. Uh, it really just sets up the characters for the series more than anything else. Um, but it does have a couple disturbing scenes in it. And if you were fans of The Walking Dead 
and you yell all the time about not seeing enough zombies because they're trying to build characters, uh, I will say they pull the possession card early and often in the pilot episode, so you will not be disappointed in that sense. Um, let's move on to some lighter topics. We have a couple of comedy roundtables we're going to get to next. First one being uh, a new comedy from Mike Birbiglia. It's kind of a dark comedy a little bit. Uh, it's called Don't Think Twice, and it's got an all-star cast in it with Gillian Jacobs, who you might have heard us speak on the Netflix and Chill podcast, her new Netflix series Love from Judd Apatow. So the first two people that you're going to hear from is Mike Birbiglia and Gillian Jacobs. He's going to start out with a little bit of a backstory about writing Donald Trump into the movie several months before he was an actual presidential candidate. So that's the little bit of story you're going to hear up front, and then you'll hear some questions from the roundtable, including Eric Havens. So enjoy. I did a show at the Houston House of Blues once, and there was a heckler who was hiding behind the stage up in like this weird booth area. An assassin heckler. It was. It was, a, it was an assassin heckler. That's some and we couldn't heckler. find him. I was like, who is... Like, it was like I was trying to talk and then he'd shout things. And it was like this really weird experience. It was like an arts installation at that point. I know. And, and finally, we found him and we killed him. And, uh, and that was that. I always have that memory of Houston. The day we murdered that heckler. Which is, what, by the way, what Trump would do. Right. <laughs> I, I joke about it, but in, in but fact, really. yeah. Well, that's very topical of the movie, because obviously I, he unbelievable. Shot the movie before Trump was, it's, it's absurd. Yeah. And you know what's amazing? When Gillian shows up, we can talk about this. Gillian said to me, we shot this in August, and she goes, you know, Mike, the Trump thing. It's getting weird right now. She goes, I think he might be a real candidate. And I go, and I was like, I was like, silly actors with their ideas about politics. <laughs> you know, like, of course he won't be a real right. candidate. Ridiculous. You know, and I, I, you know, I wrote it 18 months before I started writing it. So it's like such a weird yeah. thing to occur. What's amazing is... It's and I and that's what the the joke in the movie is in, in some ways rooted in is the Trumpification of New York and, and him being glorified as this great businessman. It's like why is he being glorified? He's everything New Yorkers can't stand. Right. He's everything that we think is terrible about destroying mom and pop businesses and putting in. Cor Darwin corporate thing. storefronts mm -hmm. and somehow we think that that's a good thing right. or some of us do I guess I think this is for you oh, okay. um, I was just saying that you had predicted the Trump thing in oh, prep yes <laughs> you know it, it was so, it was so funny Gil yeah Gil was just like Mike I think this might be real and I was like no there's no way it's real. I really did think, I mean, I think we all thought, it's like, oh, this is a publicity stunt or whatever, and this yeah. will sell some books for him. And I think he thought that. I really think that he, I think like he was like, this will sell some books, this will get my name out there, and you know, I'm, my Q rating's lowering or whatever. And, and then it became real, and then he's like, oh, it's real. <laughs> it was like, oh, actually, it's real. 
since you're right about that, do you have any predictions for the election? Yeah, oh, no, exactly. who's going to win? No, I I looked at Nate Silver, so I don't know. I don't know. Interestingly, <laughs> right though. Yeah. I think like in your both your histories really in comedy. Um, what set it apart for me? I'm going to talk like I'm an expert in comedy. So I mean, you got to treat me as such. But, uh, Those are the only people we deal with. Like, <laughs> the great thing in your in both comedy that I've seen is that, that that line that you walk between like sadness and funny and like it's Thanks. like sincerity and just ridiculous like i guess is that something that you have to is that like a honed thing that you think about every day or is that something in your skill set your talent that's just kind of instinctual now i i think i arrived at that over a series of many many years you know it, it's like ira glass one of our producers has this there's this video where he talks about online um, from like years ago. Have you ever seen this video where he mm-hmm. talks about creativity? No. And someone asked him about sort of how he became to, to arrive at where he be, arrived. And, and he says, um, he says, it starts with um, just having good taste. Mm. <laughs> and and um, that's the first step is liking things that are interesting and unique. And the second step is trying to make something like that and then essentially failing at it for 10 years and then hopefully arriving at it. And I feel like sometimes what I do is, I mean, I feel like sometimes what I do is I take inventory of like, what did I love as a kid? What was the first thing I was drawn to you know, when I saw movies and, and, um, you know, I feel like, I think for me, like when I, you know, I'd love just movies as a kid, like Spielberg movies, obviously. And then like, and then when I was in college and I was studying screenwriting, I saw like all the Woody Allen films and all the James L. Brooks films. And I was just like, oh my God, this exists. Mm Like, I can't believe, like, this is me, this is who I am, you know, and, and, then you, and then you start making things and you fail, and you start making more things and you fail, and along the way you figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you, I, for, you, I always say, like, you try, you know, for, you, you try to be Woody Allen and then you realize you're not, you're Mike Birbiglia. Yeah. You know what I mean? You try to be Gillian, you try to be whoever you were admiring and then you realize, no, you're Gillian Jacobs. Like, it's, it's, it's like, and when I was in high school, it was like, I wanted to be Stephen Wright. It's like, no, I'm not. I'm this other person. <laughs> but it takes a long time, I think. I remember seeing the movie Nashville in high school and it blew my mind. I you bet. Know, yeah, I, I, I can think of a lot of those moments. Like in comedy in particular, I remember seeing the British season, the British office. Oh my God, yeah. And um, that was like, oh, it doesn't just have to be joke, 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 joke. Yeah. There can be real painful human moments that you don't cut away from, that you don't shy away from. And so that like shows like the comeback and... Um, Getting On, which was just finished on HBO. Those are the types of shows that I was really drawn to, and I think that that having you can have incredibly silly, silly moments and then have incredibly heartfelt moments in the same work, and so that's the stuff I love as well. It's... um it's kind of interesting because there's also the uh, Del Close documentary. I know, and, which I love. You watch the oh. movie and boom, he's in the beginning and in the end. Yeah. And uh, what 
obviously that's a, a little bit of synchronicity. Uh, it's outrageous, right? It's outrageous. <laughs> My God. It, no, it is though, and and there's this weird, wild synchronicity too, which is. My first improv coach in college was Liz Allen, who came from the Improv Olympic in Chicago. We hired to come and do a workshop with us. And, um, and so years later, when I was improvising with Tammy Sager, I was like, um, she was friends with Liz Allen. I go, you were friends with Liz Allen? She taught me how to do improv. Now she lives in Las Vegas, blah, 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 teaches improv there. So I hired her to come in and teach us improv for two weeks uh, leading into the movie. And um, the first time she met Gillian, they realized that they were both from Pittsburgh. What part? Such and such neighborhood. What street? Same street. What house? Same, Same house. <laughs> Same bedroom. Yeah. Her parents sold the house to my parents, we realized, wow. within like five minutes of meeting each other. But that's also Tammy Sager. No, no, that's Liz, Liz Allen. Liz Allen. But, but to double back on it, even more synchronicity, totally randomly, uh, Liz was sick in the last couple of years, and her friends showed her Mike's stand-up special and his pieces from This American Life, and that was hugely important to her when she was sick. So she didn't remember. She was in radiation. That's yeah. what she was listening to, not knowing that she had taught me. Yeah. Wow. So she was a fan of Mike's, and then he said, you taught me improv. <laughs> So it was like a really, I think that also set the tone for the sweetness of the film as well, those kind of like real human moments. And and I think you can feel that in the group dynamic of the movie. I get emotional sometimes when when I watch the film because the themes of the film have a lot to do with how improv is a moment in time that has never happened before, will never happen again. I feel that way about the making of the movie with these five people. We had these two, this basically two months together where we were so close and we spent every sort of waking minute together and trusted each other so much. And we'll always be friends, but like we live in different cities and you know, like we'll move on to different projects and, and it'll never happen again, even though we'll always be friends. Yeah. Summer camp's over. <laughs> What's that? Said summer camp's over. And we summer shot it during over. the summer too, so did, it yeah. really added to that feeling, yeah. You were at that uh, last party for him. I no no oh, okay. I wasn't no I I was actually quoting something th- from that documentary okay. this okay. morning when there's this really powerful thing in the Del Close documentary where he says I, I don't know what the exact quote is you could probably dig it up if you wanted it but he says I realized it was on his deathbed he's in the hospital and they're filming Bill Murray's there and they're having a party for him I mean it's sweet and which I think is a beautiful idea having a party for someone who's dying and he goes I just realized after all these years, that you can have a great life for pretty cheap. Aww. Isn't that amazing? It is. And do you, Sorry. do you guys, on oh, your phone. I want to make sure, do you guys have, are you not getting enough questions yeah, there? Yeah, I'm, okay. I'd rather you okay. guys talk than like, us talk, so. Okay, are you sure? <laughs> I am, don't want to be a hog, but I was, now that you guys have reached like relative success in, in the arena of entertainment, do you still battle with kind of the theme of that movie of, like the compromising of like art and what you want to do and happiness and the other side of it where you have to have business meetings. Well, it's all fleeting. I mean, I, I was saying this to Gil yesterday, like I, Jen and my wife and I talk about how often how like this could all go away tomorrow and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. it, entertainment isn't the government. Mm-hmm. Like, there, it's not like, 
you fill yeah. out paperwork and your career is all set. Like it, it, but the, the key thing is you keep working and you try to keep being creative and, you, and do your best. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this, the challenges shift slightly. You know, when I first graduated from college, it was about will I ever work? And then <laughs> will ever, every job be my last? And so that anxiety has gone away from me that I, I know I will work. But, um, it, yeah, it shifts. Like, am I, am I able to be considered for the parts that I want? You know, can I be in the, in the conversation for projects that I want to be involved in? And um, I also think sometimes being an actor is a very passive role. You're just being, waiting to be given permission to, to do your work. Um, so trying to figure out ways in which that I can take on different roles so I can feel like I'm generating things and not just waiting all the time. So I directed a short documentary and trying to do other things like that so I feel like I'm, you know, have active things that I can generate myself. One, one thing, one, I'm sorry, one thing quick about Gillian too is Lena recommended Gillian to be considered for this when she read the script, Lena Dunham, mm-hmm. and who's a mutual friend of ours, and I watched, yeah, and it was yeah. a movie, and I, I watched all of Gillian's stuff when she said that, and I was like, but she's not, she never does this thing that this character Sam does, and um, Lena said something that was entirely true and prophetic. She goes, Gillian can do anything. It's <laughs> really sweet. Thank you, Lena. I had a Thank question you, about a scene in the movie. Uh, so when Jack borrows from the comedy troops in, into Weekend Live and incorporates that, I was kind of surprised that the reaction was so aghast and disgusted <laughs> doing that. Like, is, isn't the point of comedy to kind of borrow from life experience? Aghast like, from so the audience from, in the from, room from or the, 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 the commune. The commune were so yeah, yeah. angry, and they're like, that's, that's ours, he can't steal mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you just kind of explain the, the anger and maybe even what copyright and infringement could be when you are in an improv group? Well, there isn't copyright, you know what I mean? That's what's interesting about comedy is, you know, you look at, like, some famous incidents of, like, uh, like there was a Mark Maron episode where he interviewed Carlos Mencia and confronted him about stolen jokes that this person did and this person did and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's no legal action for it. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of comedy does have a, a certain bit of public domain to it um, but then by the same token there's a bit of a code among comedians which is like you know like there's that scene I wrote where, where Bill Chris Gethard's character comes in naked and um, I borrowed that from my friend Mike O'Brien who wrote for SNL and was a cast member on SNL and does those shorts he and I he improvises in the show in New York sometimes and I had heard that story where he walked backstage naked before a show and acted like it was no big deal and was like, yeah, this is what we're doing, right, guys? You know, and from Chicago, his Chicago days. And I put in the script in the night. I, I thought it was so fun, but then I called him. And I was like, hey, Mike, this is a really weird question, but I put this thing in where you're Phil's na- naked and blah, blah, blah. Is that okay with you? Because I, I know that it's based on inspiration of you, and it's different in this way, but it's similar in this way. And he goes, thank you so much for calling me. Absolutely. He goes, no one ever calls. <laughs> he goes, people just take things and they don't call. And it's yeah. happened to me so many times. And it means so much. He goes, he goes I don't own being naked. <laughs> but I also think in the context of the film, that was an improvised scene that they as a group did. That wasn't his alone. 
and you see he's backed into a corner and he's desperate so he does something that he knows on some level is not the right thing to do at the very least he should have called the group and said I'm I'm desperate guys can I do this sketch so you know it would be one thing if somebody has stand-up material that they've that they've honed and then they do it on a weekend live that's theirs but this was group mind. This was these people coming together. And, um, and I also think, you know, there's some degree of bitterness on their part that he got the show and they didn't. But of course. that's not, that, I would say that that is very clearly not the right thing to do in that situation, to take a sketch word for word and then put it on. Absolutely. Right? Am I speaking out of turn on I that? I think you're absolutely right, yeah. yeah. You've got a Fitbit. How many steps did you go on your world premiere day? Oh. Today I'm at 3,500, and then in Austin I've been doing about 14,000 a day, just from like walking around town. Cool. This is a, this is valuable information. <laughs> the people need to know. The, title of the, article, the people need to know. It's like a it's like an Angelina Jolie type. Brad Pitt type question, uh, really? except, except to Mike Birbiglia, <laughs> which is much more boring. Is, it, is there a hole in the hotel wall? <laughs> how are, how's like, your chateau like, in France? Yeah, exactly. We're just going to ask you all the questions that you would ask them. It, it, it's, it's funny because it's like a, it, Angelina and Brad get chased around with their babies and stuff with cameras. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is my baby. <laughs> like I bring my 10 month old around everywhere. Everyone's like, yeah, we don't care. <laughs> We're not interested. She's beautiful. People she think is, she's cute. She is beautiful. Thank you, guys. All right, that was Mike Birbiglia and Gillian Jacobs talking about their new movie, Don't Think Twice, that premiered at South by Southwest. By the way, a lot of these series and films I'm talking about, Eric Havens wrote a review for almost every movie that ever existed at South by this weekend. So check out boomhowdy.com for some reviews on almost all the films that were there, including Don't Think Twice. Uh, next up, we're going to hear from Kate Marchucci, who is one half of Garfunkel and Oates. We're also going to hear from Tammy Sager at the roundtable. Mike, my first question is for you, since you are a newcomer to improv, mm-hmm. just how did your experience change from knowing nothing about improv to by the end of the film um, doing a whole movie about it? Um, I mean, I feel like... I really did a lot, like I learned, I, we had to learn in a short amount of time kind of but it, it, uh, I feel like I've carried it with me and as like months have gone by like I feel even more like, even though I don't practice it been wanting to practice it okay let me start again <laughs> basically I feel like it's kind of sunk in over time and now I feel like even just more like um, I, I can see it from a further okay <laughs> a bigger perspective. Yes, and I understand it more. And it's like sometimes I'm the type of person that things really need to like sit, and then I get it. I don't. I'm not somebody that understands it right away. But um, so I think now I'm, I really understand it a lot more. And it's also made me go, oh, I really do want to get on an improv team. I'm just hardly in in uh, in my town, and it's hard to to do it. But I really want to. Um, but I, yeah, I learned a lot from these guys because they're kind of the best. They not kind of. They are the best. The best improvisers in the world and then Gil and I were new <laughs> so um, yeah we had the best teachers all around and having Liz Allen come in so yeah it was like having amazing instructors all everybody supporting us does that does that make sense I just rambled sorry <laughs> well they mentioned all their synchronicity with the project and stuff I just wondered if any of that like slipped over in the arena or was that more traditional like here's a project and are you interested 
Well, there was that. <laughs> Where I was like, I went, when Mike had uh, called me and said, would you like to read the script? I'd like to talk to you about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I would love to. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there was. I, I'm trying to think, like, there was nothing as crazy as, like, oh, we grew up in the same bedroom. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would be really weird three times. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, where'd you grow up? <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. What would you, uh, Do you have some? I have a bunch. Yeah, go yeah. for it. Um, well, I'll, I'll just start with the Liz Allen synchronicity. Oh, yeah. So even just how this happened, that I got involved with it, was happened through Chris Gethard, and he recommended me to Mike, and Mike I'm an enormous fan of. Um, so Liz Allen and Lily Francis and I were three friends, and we've been friends from Chicago Improv for 20 years. And um, six years ago, uh, I'd lost touch with Liz. Um, Sorry, this is going to be a bit of a story. Let's <laughs> we'll flip that over. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, six years, Liz got very sick. She had uh, cancer um, a number of years ago, and I'd lost touch with her, and then <laughs> I had a weird gambling problem for like a month and a half well, where I was living in L.A., and we'd gone to Vegas, and all of a sudden this like little inchworm in my brain was like, we got to go back and play craps, we got to go back and play craps, we got to go back and play craps. And I, and, uh, and I went back for 18 hours, and I won like $1,800, and then I was like, oh, yeah, and now I got to go back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know you won that much money. Oh, yeah, no, awesome. that, that's the problem with gambling is yeah. if you win a bunch. And so then I was like, okay, well, now I have to go back for five days. And it was literally like an inchworm in my brain because it was like not even about the money, it was just about the... <laughs> and so I went back for four days, and I was like, that's a long time to be in Vegas by myself. Because it started with, like, friends. And so I was like, oh, Liz lives in Vegas, and I haven't talked to her for, in years. I'm going to be in touch with Liz. Because then it's not the craziest thing. And I got in touch with Liz. And I, what happens in Vegas is that you, then you lose all the money that you win. And I did. But the real miracle is that inchworm left my brain, and gambling got boring again. And... But instead what happened was Liz, who had left Chicago, and she was like an improv guru in Chicago. Um, and she had been sick and this so fatigued and just wiped out. And I had just done this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's a book that's been very important to me in my life for 15 years, and I had just redone a class, and I was like, we're going to, I'm buying you this book. So I went and we bought the book, and I was like, we're going to do a weekly check-in. And our friend Lily, who they had been in touch. So we've been doing a weekly check-in for a number of years. That's going on. And through that weekly check-in, a lot of stuff has happened in my life, including coming back to New York. I started doing this show with Mike. I said, have you guys know Mike Barbiglia? And they're like, do we know Mike Barbiglia? When Liz got really sick, Lily went to Vegas. Lily played Liz. She was like, you have to hear this Mike Barbiglia story where he plays a fundraiser, cancer fundraiser. Then she watched all the specials. It got her through the hardest point of her cancer treatment. This means so much. I go to Mike. I say, Mike, this is so sweet. I talk to my friends from Chicago, Lily Francis, Liz Allen. He goes, Liz Allen? She changed my life when I was 18. She came to Georgetown. She didn't remember that. Yeah. And then he reached out to her. They, they reconnected. She came out and... Her life, her health has gotten so much better. Her being able to travel out and to lead these workshops, and like she, she made us a group because it wasn't when she came. You know, we had a couple of improv teachers come and just like teach basics of improv, which felt a little bit more like like this is what you do on stage, 
And what Mike needed was, I want this to feel like a group that's been together 11 years. And that's what she does. And she just came in and was just like, she would like yeah. do this magical thing where she would be like, and you relax and you don't do that. Yeah. And it's just like, and we just relaxed. And it just helped Mike stop being a director. Mm-hmm. And it just stopped me from being like the one with experience, you know? And we just, it was, it brought us to the beauty of group mind again. And the, I mean, and I feel like that spirit was around the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And you just said the word spirit, but it was, it was very spiritual. It was like a, it was like something happened. We were like, oh, and the way Liz led it, led us to that was, it was just like, I've never experienced something like that. Like that. It was sort of, it was very quick. She yeah. showed up and it was like, yeah. It, was, um, was shooting the improv scenes the most difficult part of the film? I assume that they were all shot together just at, like, Yeah, there was over a couple of days, right? Yeah, I would I would imagine I mean it's, I think that question for you know, for our DP, I feel like that was probably a challenge for those guys just because that but for us. It was I don't so feel, originally shot. Yeah. Our DP is phenomenal and our cameraman Amazing. He was like a seventh member of the troupe. So there's a steady cam up on stage with us and and our sound guy and it yeah. never felt like I never was aware of them. I was just gonna say the same like you know it was like a dance and they were but you, you could maybe you're unconsciously feeling yeah, you were there. Just like but you, you didn't know it was it was so cool to experience. So like, oh right, there was a camera on the stage too and a sound guy with the boom. But like you didn't it didn't feel like it. And it was yeah. And Liz came out a second time. He brought Liz out. It was so magical that first time that she came out a second time just to be there for us for those improv and just to like relax us, you know? Because it is it it wasn't hard in terms of like you know, there were other moments like that fight scene was really Mm. hard. But she just relaxed us and just reminded us of it doesn't, the audience, it's not that they don't matter, it's that they're another friend. Right. And that we're, and it was just beautiful, mm-hmm. actually. It was really cool. Yeah, she really did become, Liz became our extra, the extra member of the. Yeah, she was our coach. Not extra, that sounds bad. No. Extra member, additional member. That's yeah, the word. She was yeah. like a touchstone for us mm-hmm. that we could just like plug into. A couple of you guys mentioned group, the group mind concept, yeah. uh, and I know in some other mediums that's not always a positive connotation. Can you guys kind of elaborate on what it means for improv and, and why it is so important to be a part of that group mind? That's true. You're right, because group mind, like when you think of a boardroom trying to decide like what you to name what? a toothpaste, it's probably not going to be the best name. <laughs> I think there's a difference. I feel like I keep talking over you, but I just read this book called Mindset, and they talk about group think. And groupthink, I think, is the disaster mm. where everybody is too scared of saying no to somebody. Right. Like, uh, they compared it to JFK and the Cuban Missile Crisis, and nobody being like, this is not a good idea. Mm. And I think group mind is something totally different than groupthink, where it's you're honoring everybody's ideas and seeing where it can go. And the editing comes later. The editing definitely comes, but it comes later. No, no, that's, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> okay, cool. I couldn't have added well anymore. <laughs> I talked to them a little bit about, like, to me, my personal opinion, since yeah. I'm an expert, like, the greatest comedy, like, walks that line between tragedy and, like, hilarity at the same time. Like, is that something you have to consciously hone, or is that something that you just feel at this yeah. point? It's like a skill set that you know when you're going too far into tragedy or when you need to come back to be a little funny or vice versa. 
I'm just thinking about our show the other night. Yeah. Because we did we did a show here two nights ago at the hideout, and it wasn't it was a real it, it got real. I kept crying yeah. during the show. And, <laughs> and straight was, up crying. It was such a amazing. I mean, Tammy was so awesome to share what what was what she was going through, and 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 I feel like the audience was just all all there. And so when it was funny, it was like it was, it, and then when it was sad, it was there was you could just feel it, and it was it was a really special show. I feel like it was one of the more uh, amazing shows we've done together. What was so cool about it, though, is it was only that thing about that tone and that line that you walk is. I wasn't aware of it. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. just, I think you just try to be honest and then trust. Yeah. And the group is what made it funny, mm -hmm. and the group was what made it okay. So, like, I was just saying, there's definitely, I've seen shows where somebody could be that honest and awesome on stage, and if the team isn't like, if they're in the back line, like, oh boy, oh boy, what's going to happen now? This, and instead, they made amazing scenes, and like, and then the audience is relaxed, and I think it's the same thing as seeing a great movie, where you just aren't worried that the movie is not going to, where you can just relax and enjoy it, and Mike is such an amazing director that I didn't feel like we had to worry about it. Yeah. I felt like I, it would be taken care of. I've also, I don't know if you feel this way, but like seeing it last night, I, I realized just how much, how sad it can be. Like, because we, when we were doing it, there were definitely sad scenes and sad moments, but there was, I mean, there was so much joy making this movie. So like seeing it together as a whole piece, I was like, oh, this is such a real, real feeling. I mean, I, I don't want to say sad. I don't want to like, in the way that it is really still very funny. Yeah. Emotional. Emotional, yeah. yeah. Sad is, yeah, it's emotional, yeah. To me, what, like maybe the best example in the movie is the, when they're driving back from visiting his father and that the, the whole thank you yeah. thing where, where Mike does it and it's like almost like a just silence goes over the van. Like, like, <laughs> Can we do we, this? Yeah, yeah. Okay? And then it just turns hilarious. Yeah. And finally the, the one who should be grieving joins yeah. in. It's hilarious all There's that great shot of, of Chris out the window and he's, he's just looking out the window and you just see him like he's like okay because he's with his friends and I, yeah. I loved that. But I, I do think also when that there is a tragedy happening there's always somehow it, things turn into the funniest things in those moments, mm -hmm. you know? Um, not now. This is making it sound like this movie has a crazy. Like, like it is, it's not that tragic. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's, it's real. I think. That's yeah, it's yeah. real. It's, yeah, and I and I think a lot of people can relate to right. to it. You know. How do you guys relate to your the characters you played in the movie? Uh, oh man. Yeah, I don't know a lot. Too I, much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah, I think because there's always that fear of like. I, like I always feel so lucky that I get to do what I do, but there's always this fear of this could uh, go away in a second, you know. And so it's like to you know ha watch that happen with this group, and like you want to hang on to the the good times, you know. And, and yeah, how long can you hang on? I guess. You know, we talk a lot about how Gil and Kate had never improvised before, but I'd never really been in a movie before. I've had like tiny parts and things, and so there was a lot you know for what? me that's of so like. True. We haven't really. I mean, that's no, no. And that's what this should be about. <laughs> but no, I mean, but, it's, you're so amazing. Oh. It's so good. Like I didn't really think about it. But that to me was like the precious thing. And uh, see, I'm, I'm in a very cry place. But like, there's a scene, and it's not about this at all. But there's a scene where we have. Two minutes, but I might help you start to pack up. She, she has, has to, to go to, to bank. Yeah. Earlier plate, so I'm two bummed. minute warning. For you to continue, but I would head out. Oh, okay. I want to say bye. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what were you saying? I, 
I just interrupted. It was just the scene when the big shots come in the audience, and I just shut down. And it is not about me at all. But when we just were doing that scene over and over again, I just, and that came from a very true place because I performed at Second City, and we would have big people come through a lot. And I, all my head would tell me is like, they don't want you. And so I just went to that headspace again, and then I was backstage, and I was like, I know. And you gave me the best advice ever. And I was like, because part of me is like, no, this is good. I'm really acting because I'm really feeling it. But I also wasn't shaking it off. Yeah, you were having trouble letting it go. Yeah, because then I was like, Mike hates me. He doesn't want me in this movie. Like, it just spread all over me. And she gave me just really good, like, acting advice, which I did not have. I don't remember. It was great. Yeah. I'm glad it helped, though. (laughs) It was about giving myself a physical gesture to, like, then be like, and now shake it off. That's not real. yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Good, Good job. Yeah, yeah. I, I should use that myself sometimes. <laughs> the movie's obviously scripted, but were there any moments that were born out of improvisation? Something that was really cool that happened in those two weeks that we practiced improvising was we also were blocking those scenes mm-hmm. and changing those scenes. And so there was, it was coming from actory improv, but yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of that was like that big fight scene got changed a lot and figuring out that walking and all that and even what we said. Was that shot at an actual restaurant? Yeah. Oh yeah. And 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 the street scene, we we rehearsed that a bunch. Yeah. And I don't, it's hard for me to know like what spoiler stuff is there, but I think the thing that they used, contact was made. Like you. (laughs) Oh yes. Yeah. It was true. Yeah. Don't put this in there, but like. Like, does not it's have stage combat training. <laughs> got to in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because he goes back to being angry this time. He goes out yeah. to the street, but he did stop and be like, "Oh, I'm sorry." Which is yeah. so great because I, I think that's really what you would do if you yeah. Yeah. if you hit a friend. Yeah. If you've never. Yeah. And, and yeah, you feel that rage until that moment of like, "Oh, I just did I, it. I, I went too far. I went too far." But I'm also so mad yeah. still. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. And I love that that was the take that they and used. It, yeah, and, yeah. It, and it does that like make anger comedy. Yeah, like, serious, exactly, funny, exactly. It's great. And it's because it's honest. I think any time that you're just being really honest, yeah. it's gonna walk that line for you. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. I should. I, I feel bad no, no, to go, leave everyone. Go, go catch your flight. I should say bye to these guys, but I don't want to interrupt. It's such an awkward thing. They're taking it. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. Thank you for the time. Yeah. So Safe thank travel. you guys. Yes, Safe yes, travel, yes. sweetie. Oh man. I love you so much. <laughs> this was the best weekend. It was so yeah. much fun. I'll, I'll call you when I'm back. I'll call you before that. I, I'll call all of you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me know when you land. Okay, great. <laughs> what, what do you have coming up next? Well, I'm writing. I'm writing on girls mm-hmm. um, this last season. Yeah. It's so good. Um, so I'm, I'm in LA right now writing on that, and then we're going to go back to New York and do some more writing. Yeah, I wrote on the season that's airing right now. Um, so doing that, and um, I've worked on Inside Amy Schumer, so I've, I've been really lucky to be able to do that stuff in New York. Um, and just working on a movie idea and some other stuff, but it's, it's back to a bunch of writing. But Things always go in cycles, and it seems now, because of Amy Schumer, it's it's popular to have like a female yeah. lead, but a raunchy, yeah. not like Tina Fey, Amy Fuller, raunchy, R-rated comedy, but a different, yeah. like a new, uh, yeah. new model. Um, yeah, and it's it's so all of those women that you just named are so smart, mm-hmm. and it's so great that it's like okay, but my smart is this way, and it's just gotten wider what you can joke with and like like the gender shit that Amy does is so like it's all over the spectrum and same with Lena 
and obviously Tina and Amy too, but it just, yeah, the field feels wide open right now. Totally. You know what it is? It's that women could always do that. It's sort of the same thing with books where they're like, girls would read books where the boys are the heroes, but boys won't read books where the girls are. And it's like they decided that. And then it's like, no, it turns out that's not true at all. And you know why it's not true? Because girls will read stuff where boys are the heroes. So it is yeah. totally possible. Which is like, We'd read that because those were the good books. Or you'd see the stuff where the guys are funny. Because, you know, we just want to see funny stuff. And I think, like, I think every entertainment is just changing like that with diversity and everything. Where it's like, oh, Empire, everybody watches Empire because it's awesome. And also, we want to see those stories. Like, there's I'm, other voices out there? <laughs> a million times. And I'm developing a show right now with, um, it's through Amy Poehler's production company that she's producing, but with this Indian lesbian director, Nisha Ganatra. And it is interesting. Like, she initially wrote something, and it was... It was like, no, 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 make this more your experience. Because, like, that's what we want. I, you, you want that experience. Like, we just want to hear more experiences. Can I ask one girls-related question? Yeah, totally. I just, like, since you said this was your first season writing. Oh, the second. Second, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you weren't there from the very beginning. No. So I wonder what it's like to come into a writing room when there's the, the ensemble is so strong and they have such voices already yeah. established. What's it like to come in as a new writer for that? I love it. I love it because I was such a fan of girls. And that was a show that I watched at the beginning. And I was like, oh, you're allowed to do that. Right. I didn't know you were allowed to do that. I didn't know that you could... That that sex scene in the beginning of that first episode yeah. of Girls, I was like, oh, I didn't know that anybody would care or allow it, you know? Let alone honor it, let alone explore the dark, funny stuff. So I was such a huge fan of Girls that... Um, I was actually in New York just to be there for a hiatus. I was writing for How I Met Your Mother at the time, and then we had a hiatus between seasons. And I was like, I had worked at HBO before. I was on the show called Bored to Death. And Fantastic. I know, right? How did they cancel it on that hang like that? I know, I'll but I think there might happens. be a movie. There's okay. been a lot of talk because those guys all love each other, and Jonathan Ames is fantastic. So I had a little bit of an HBO connection, and I was like, can you please tell them that I will work on girls for free for a few weeks? And they were like, uh-huh, sure. And they're like, ah, is that going to happen? And so then when I met with them for the show, and I was like, oh, you, I'm the crazy person who volunteered to work for free. And they're like, oh, we never heard that. My agent was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to be like, because I'm also sure a million people reached out. So part of it is to come into that room as a fan. And that's awesome. And it's a really a luxury to come into a show where it's established, you know, because I also came into 30 Rock second season and first season I was like, you guys are amazing. It's, I think it gives you such a luxury because it gives you... Like a blueprint? Is yeah. That? yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. In, in a situation like that, do all the writers write together? Mm -hmm. or you're just like in a... You're in a room. The same room. And just, yeah. You, you, is there one person that's actually doing the transcription? Yeah, there's it? a writer's assistant. The writer's assistant so crazy important. So crazy important because they're writing down everything mm -hmm. that's being said. And so then, you know, in Girls, obviously, Lena is such a huge part of the writing, and especially this last season. Like, she's... But we talk stuff out in the room and throw out stuff. And, you know, it's just personal stories, too, will lead so much to... Like, what would a person do? Well, let me tell you, from my life, this is what I'm thinking. How can we translate in, into that? And, yeah, you take all those notes. Like, you get assigned an episode, 
and you get you take all those right the writers the system will send you everything that was said so you're also reading a bunch of like stuff that's like oh that was just us being and you that's part of it is just figuring out like oh I would definitely want that line and yeah you figure it out together that's where improv is so important is how to work in a group you know because I've also been in rooms where it's like you don't want to say something because somebody be like oh it's dumb we can't or you know or just it's such a leap of faith to laugh at something. I don't know if you guys have ever been in a situation where somebody's like, no, that's not what you said isn't funny. I'm writing some personal though, so I imagine like your writers are, I don't know, writers are more sensitive souls. Yeah. Personally, it's, it's people all converged in one room to throw around all these ideas. Like, yeah. In the best sense of the word. Yeah. But it's also so much the people who create the show and run the show, they have to create a creative environment where you feel safe to say anything, you know? And I've been really fortunate that almost everything I've worked on has been like that. Then we were talking about the kind of best comedy walks that line. That's what, you know, but not all comedy does. And a lot of great comedy doesn't, you know? There's a lot of, Tina in Bossy Pants does a, such a great job of describing like her Harvard guys and her, Second City guys and her dirt bags. Like that's how she characterizes like a perfect writer's room. And she's like the she always called the like the lampoon, I think she says pirates and robots, like 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 that. And pirates and robots are super funny. But I'm also like fascinated by like, you know, bad sex. Like and that's super personal. And you know, and then it I it's good to have that mix, but it's most important to have a place where it feels safe to say all of it. You know what I mean? So you have the emo people but who will also laugh about pirates and robots. And you have the pirates and robots people who are human enough to, you know, not shut you down completely. And that was part of the movie, too, where you kept saying, I thought it was, I mean, bigger theme, but the, I got your back, I got your back, that whole thing. I know, right? Like, how that fit into the larger scope of the movie. I thought that was pretty fantastic. Yeah. Is, is, is that something, I mean, I mean, I assume, since I've never done improv, yeah. shockingly, but uh, like, is that something that it's, a troupe usually does? And, and yeah, and then also there's a point that comes where you're like, I'm not saying that again. Right. <laughs> oh, this feels so I stupid. Yeah, <laughs> where it's just like, we don't have it. You know what yeah, I mean? Or yeah. like, the Scott adds it, who's a f- phenomenal improviser, where you bet, we'd see him backstage and go, false energy, false energy, false energy. <laughs> and even though he's saying false energy, he's giving it energy, right, and you yeah, sort yeah. of get pumped up anyway. So it's hard to be like that self-aware and still say, I got your back. But there's, that's where Liz was so, sorry, that's where Liz was so important. It should be like, uh-uh, no like being cool here. Yeah. And that's it's hard. It's scary yeah. to be. And I think that's also where the trust in Mike and the editors comes in, where you're like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm going to look, I might look like a total asshole. And I'm just trusting you, trust, you to yeah, not make trust. me look like that's that. Incredible. Yeah, that's the beauty of improv is like, Again, Kate keeps calling that, like, I did such an amazing job. 100% it was because of what they did with it. 100%. And that's also, oh, sorry. No, no, keep talking. Yeah, just tell us you kicked okay, us out. Okay. But, like, in the, in the improv scenes, um, and I'm sure Mike mentioned this too, that there's a part where the, Gillian delivers a killer line. And the best part is the joy on Chris Gethard's face. Like, because he's like, oh... He sees her about to have that. And I, as an audience member, I love watching the team watch each other. You know what I mean? That's part of it. And that's why I think it's so much that you love each other. It matters. 
All right, that was Eric Havens along with a few of the other press members at the roundtable for Mike Birbiglia's Don't Think Twice. Um, we're going to move on to a couple of questions that I had at the UCB roundtable with Matt Besser and Matt Walsh for their documentary called Thank You, Dell, the story of the Dell Close uh, Marathon, which is a improv marathon that has been known to last up to 52 hours straight. And it kind of just becomes a party at that point with improvers from all around the world. And they spotlight one from Peculiar, Missouri, who's just starting out kind of at a lower level. And then they spotlight people all the way up to Amy Poehler uh, and Matt Besser and Matt Walsh from UCB. So it's interesting documentary. I highly recommend it if you're a, com- uh, a fan of comedy. And let's go ahead and listen to some of that roundtable with Matt Matt Besser, Matt Walsh, and director Todd Bieber, who is also an improver. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the Dell Close Marathon means to you guys? I mean, you kind of explore that, obviously, in the documentary. But for those who haven't seen it yet, uh, give us a little bit of flavor. Todd, what does the marathon mean to you? What does it mean to me? Yeah. I, well, maybe to describe it, it's uh, you know, 52 hours of improv, people coming from around the world. And so I think it's like a convergence of some of the best improvisers from around the world coming to celebrate Dell and celebrate improv. And like, it's really just a party, right? I think mm-hmm. you said it best. Like, it's like a... It's, a chance for everybody to kind of meet and um, hang out. Yeah. But it, but it was intended to let people know about this guy, Del Close. We started it right after he died. And uh, uh, even at Second City at that time, his face wasn't up at the wall, on the wall, which I was very disappointed in. But we, we felt like people need to know about this guy because he, he did feel underappreciated. I think when he was alive, and uh, we wanted to make sure that his name didn't die, uh, along with his body. And I think the festival for me is kind of what Todd said, that it's a lot of friends and talented people we know that just have this passion for this hobby, which is improv. You don't really make money doing improv, but every year they come from all over the world, and uh, it's a great way to reconnect, and also you do feel like you're practicing this art form in a very pure way. It's, it's for purists, people who appreciate improv in a very passionate way. Uh, I thought it was interesting that you picked uh, the group from Peculiar Missouri, and I kind of applauded since I'm from Missouri. Just oh. Pick somebody that's just starting out and it's fresh and kind of trying to find their groove. And so did you spotlight them, uh, in particular Todd, did you spotlight them because of the range of experience and kind of talent with them starting out with people that have been doing it for years and kind of showing two sides of that coin? Yeah, exactly. I think that, like, we'd actually sent out cameras to ten different teams and uh, covered all ten of those teams and in the film only focused on one of those teams because they were, like, that fish out of water. They were the new team who had never experienced this before. So I think, like, it was fun. Like, I I remember my first time going on stage bombing just as hard as them, and I'm sure you guys do too, and it was fun to juxtapose that, like, you, <clears throat> you don't start out as a great improviser. It is an art, and I think that the goal was to show that uh, this isn't this is an art form that you have to practice and and grow with. And I think that showed like uh, these two different versions of it, like starting at one place and going to another place. And it's also a chance for for me as a storyteller, as a hard to like a, as a filmmaker to to tell like what is improv because it's not a documentary like I think I said this but like it's not about baseball there's no common ground here where everybody knows what we're talking about 
So the, the a fish out of water team kind of allows you to get into that world through a character's point of view rather than just like a lecture point of view. So, yeah. And also the, the movie is about the growth of improv and as much as we did reach out to other countries, Finland, Japan, uh, I think it's almost more relevant to see a really small town in Missouri. I'm from Arkansas myself, and I, when I grew up, I never, I literally never heard of the word. I'd probably heard of it in relationship to jazz, maybe jazz improv, but I'd never heard of it in terms of comedy until I moved to Chicago, which is strange. I'd heard of SCTV, but never, you know, up until 91 when I moved there, never heard of the word. So. I can relate to that and relate to being from not a big city where things are happening and uh, them wanting to do that art form there in that small town. I think that, that, mm -hmm. that, that's cool. I can speak to the comedy scene in Chicago when we started, of the old men. Uh, Second City was like this mecca. It was literally an antenna that drew people like ants to the mothership because people knew Bill Murray and John Belushi and it meant, oh, a career in comedy possibly and you could make a way, uh, and you could make a living. So there's a lot of like rough hewn talent, forces of nature like a Chris Farley or whoever and they required someone like Dell to sort of hammer out the rough edges and, and encourage them, you're not just a fool, you're actually a professional satirist. That's one of the lessons I always remember Dell was like, he would give you reading lists in the classroom, and he made it a legit proposition, and he gave value to what you were trying to do. So he was always that person, and I think for a city like Chicago that was getting people with their suitcases and backpacks right after college or whatever, not knowing what to do with their life, they found Improv Olympic, or they found Dell, or even Second City. I think his role for a lot of those people was to legitimize what they were pursuing and to make it uh, he started to put structure to it. He started to put rules to the long form, and his notes were invaluable. He would give you notes like, that. nobody wants to see you be cute when you're 35, so get rid of the cute choices. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think that was Dell's role for the talent, is to form them, to give them discipline, and to get them to treat it seriously. When I was growing up, like a lot of people that liked comedy, was watching SNL at night to see new people that were kind of up and coming. But when my buddies and I found UCB TV, that was kind of the underground for us, even though it was still kind of mainstream, but it was still starting out. Mm -hmm. So once we found that, it was kind of interesting that there were some new faces, fresh faces that had kind of a different thought process. They kind of took it to another level versus what we saw on SNL because they had constraints. Mm -hmm. So seeing the new generations rise in UCB, but having tons of people go through it, you probably don't see all of them. But is there anybody now that you could kind of point your finger at and be like, oh yeah, they've got a lot of potential to rise up and be the next generation of great comedians? Sure, I mean, there's, there's a million there. groups. Birthday South Boys had a sketch show for yeah. a long time. Uh, who do you like, the kids? I'll, who are the kids I'll you like? Tell <laughs> you right now. Like, I, like, uh, who did our CISO thing? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, we had this show on, uh, we have it on CISO.com called the. UCB show and it literally is trying to cull the best acts from our theater right now who haven't necessarily broken we, we put some veteran comedians that people know on the show too but it was a big 
mission of the show. Let's put some people out there. And I'd say the star of the show is this kid, Drew Tarver, who's right at the festival right now, actually, uh, at the South by Southwest. That dude's going to be a star. Write it down, folks. Drew Tarver, John Gabris, also at the festival Betsy right Sidaro. now. Betsy Sadaro, Mary Holland, Mary Stephanie Holland. Allen, Lauren Lapkus. These are all kind of really... Adomian, really obviously, has yeah. been around for a little Wild bit. Horses. Uh, yeah. Anthony Tamanik, he's yeah. the doing the, dr- uh, the Trump thing. I just said Trump. Uh, the Trump dump. <laughs> Trump dump. The Trump dump. Yeah. Um, so these are guys all hitting right now. They're just so talented and great improvisers. Um, what about Matt Besser and Matt Walsh? Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah, we're in the red <laughs> But you said the next wave. Like we're old school. Yeah, I hope we're an older <laughs> wave. But. Uh, I'll plug my podcast Improv for Humans, but that—that's what I do on my podcast. I'm like, who's the neck? Who can? Who from the young class can hang? Uh, and so, yeah, we are always looking, and they are—they do rise above, and you do see them. All right, that was Todd Beaver, Matt Walsh, and Matt Besser uh, talking a little bit about their documentary that they brought to South by. Thank you, Dell. The story of the Dell Close Marathon. Um, and it was a big treat to get to talk to those guys. I've seen their podcast improv for humans a couple times live and listened to it on iTunes. Um, uh, but growing up, my, my buddy Alex and I used to watch the UCB TV show, um, religiously when we could taping it on VHS tapes and, and sharing it with each other. So big treat to talk to them. Glad we got a chance to, and that does it for boom. Howdy's coverage of South by Southwest. Hope you enjoyed some of those interviews. Um, from Eric Havens, myself, uh, and like I said earlier, if you missed the recap that Kelly Powell and I did on Netflix and Chill, you can check that out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you can find the Boom Howdy Network, and of course on BoomHowdy.com. Please go check out our coverage of South by Southwest. You can click on Boom News, South by Southwest 2016, and see our just plethora of coverage. So many reviews. Uh, news that came out of the festival. Uh, you can follow follow along on Twitter at Boom Howdy. You can see kind of a, a timeline of all the events that we went to. Uh, so thanks for listening. And as I mentioned before, please rate and review us on iTunes and share it with a friend. We will be back for South by Southwest 2017. So until then, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.